the Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 246 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to fuck it up in our very, very humble opinion. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for listening. We are delighted to have on this week's episode, Chris Miller and Phil Lord. Oh yes, absolute legends of the game. Uh, they have directed, written or produced between them, mainly together. Cloudy with a chance of meatballs. What a start by the way. They've got so many special thanks in movies like How to Train Your Dragon and Megamind and Hugo. And then they directed 21 Jump Street. After that they went Cloudy with a chance of meatballs 2, the Lego movie, 22 Jump Street, Rigsby Bear, which I loved, uh, Lego Batman Man movie, Lego Ninjago movie, <laughs> Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Lego Movie 2, and The Mitchells vs. The Machines, which is out now on the wonderful Netflix. Oh yeah. We didn't get to chat. Myself and Christian James. Hello, Christian. Hey, bud. How you doing? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. I got very excited because I thought you were going to say, t- today we have with us, and I thought you were going to say Christian James, but you said Phil Lord and Chris Miller. And I was like, ah, oh, the audience could be really just disappointed now. They'll be like... It's hugely. Yeah, they'll be like, he's going to say Christian James? Oh, it's only Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Oh, only the Oscar winners. Phil but Lord now and Chris I have yeah. come back yeah. with Christian <laughs> James and the crowd oh, went wild. I could feel that. Uh, <laughs> what we didn't talk about, CJ, was Spider-Man into the Spider into the Spider Verse. We no. didn't talk about that, but we did talk about Cocaine Bear, their brand new film that they're making right now. Uh, CJ, what else did we talk about? Oh, we covered so much. Uh, I just have to caveat this with saying, obviously, with people like Phil and Chris, where they've got a career as big as they have, it's really hard to cover as much as they've done so we have to like dip in and out of various things but we covered uh, like their beginning in filmmaking dealing with rejection and they talked a lot <laughs> about how filmmakers should be more unique and I suppose Cloudy the Chance of Meatballs is a great example of that and how they brought their voice to that and it elevated them onwards. We also talk about writing together how they do that how they collaborate with other people and where they get their ideas from. Also we cover the difference between working together uh, or alone on a script versus being on a set with loads of people, massive crew, and, and making those and the differences between making animation versus live action. In which case, we do talk, we do jump into talking about Jump Street um, and Last Man on Earth with that as well, yeah, don't we? we? Do. We do, we do, yeah, cover some of those, those classics. And then we dive into Lego Movie a little bit uh, and why they added 10 minutes uh, when the studio told them it was too long. Um, we also talk about the fantastic The Mitchells versus the machines all that is to come on the filmmakers podcast how are you buddy cj how are you good thanks g-man i was a little rusty in the intro it's been a while but the 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 beauty of this this particular podcast was not only hanging out with in person with phil lord and chris miller but it was also hanging out with those fine chaps and yourself for the first time in i think two years i haven't seen you in the flesh for two years that's crazy Mm. that was crazy it was really lovely to see you and actually again it's like the jim cummings episode it was so nice to sit in a room and have a chat with filmmakers Mm. and chris chris and phil were I mean, they were brilliant. As soon as they arrived, you were like, oh, this is going to be good. They're funny, they're on it, interesting, happy yeah. to give advice. I really enjoyed that a lot. Big thank you to James from Netflix for setting it up for us. Thank you. Uh, if you're not subscribed to Netflix, why not go, go watch this <laughs> Go watch this movie right now? The Mitchells versus the Machines. You're not with your usual lovely microphone. You're with clearly iPhone head pods. Uh, where are you? Why are you there? I like the fact you call them head pods. Yeah, yeah it's a mixed <laughs> head pod. Got my head pods in. Um, I'm, I'm in. Uh, Giles, I'm in Copenhagen. Yeah, I'm, I'm shooting an ad out here, a docu commercial. All, all the kids love it. Docu commercials. It's the. That's what I'm doing. One of those bad boys. So it's yeah. A new I'm thing. A, What's the difference between a ad? And a docu commercial. <laughs> I think it's a way for creatives to uh, charge more money. So, oh, uh, brilliant! Yeah, Great. Well, you're happy good, then. 
we're going to give you a docu commercial, and uh, they bring in someone like me to make that, and it's all, it's uh, it's it's legitimate, it's real world, it's you know getting real people, but making it look like a commercial. So uh, that's where I come in. So there you go. Glamorous. That's what I'm out here doing. It's cold. It's quite nice though. It's autumnal. It's beautiful. Well, first of all, I just wanted to, to let you lovely people know that I'm in the edit at the moment for Wolves of War, the war film, uh, starring Ed Westwick and Rupert Graves and Matt Willis. I am super pumped for it. It's really exciting to sit in the edit and do that World War II film. I'm really excited by that. It's been great. So yeah, co my concentration has been on that and wrapping up Three Day Millionaire a bit uh, in the last sort of two weeks since we wrapped. Three weeks now, maybe. Um, there's a lot to do. CJ, Giles, there's a lot Giles, of paperwork. No, no very, very, very quickly, this is quite important, this question. If you had to burn the digital negatives of one of those movies <laughs> you had to your life depends on it you've got to destroy yeah, one of those yeah. movies right now yeah. which yeah. one would you pick my life depends on it right yeah mm. yeah i'd burn myself rather than <laughs> do that <laughs> yeah i can't ask that question so diplomatic i don't think you would i think you would choose which which, which who do you prefer your your child or your wife <laughs> <laughs> no answer me <laughs> your no, life depends I on it you first so you have to answer mine first yeah we, know, we can't answer that i think uh, yeah it's what you they're all your babies you can't help it can you i think when you make a film and even if there was problems or there's issues or things that you weren't as happy with as a director producer yeah you they're still yours you're still passionate about it and love it with all its yeah. heart and all its foibles come cool. like child but thank you for putting me on the spot and asking that's that. all right really, anytime really awkward difficult question we have some shout outs to give to just general lovely amazing people listening to the podcast give us so much lovely feedback um they are lindsey fraser brett liddick william smith ben McCune, caden alley uh daniel thrace who are newcomers welcome boys and mark welcome. coleman rick kaplan george solace and huge shout out to our patreon listeners you are stars those of you who got the extra bonus clips from last week if you are on the patreon you got them you would love them i really hope you did uh listen to them because they're fantastic with axel carolyn and then jim cummings and pj mccabe as well oh my gosh really cool so if you're not getting the patreon yet you haven't joined our tribe then do link to that is in the show notes come and join us come and get some great bonus material oh yeah and uh, our merch cj for Ooh. christmas yeah. Christmas is coming up. It's crazy. We have 15% off our merch. We have t-shirts and mugs and hoodies and gosh, some re really cool stuff. So if you want a Christmas present for a filmmaker friend of yours, can't go wrong. Or not. They, they could be, do not have to be a filmmaker friend? Maybe someone that just likes, maybe someone that wears t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. Or it could just be you. You know what I mean? You could buy Ooh. it for yourself. There is that. Um, and also our blog at the moment, it's going great guns. So basically we cut down some of the best bits and we put them onto our blog. Uh, so do go check that out as well. It's free. Why not? It's on our website, thefilmmakerspodcast.com, where you can get all our back catalogue of podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts in the world. But anyway, that is the blog. So, CJ, shall we get to today's episode? Let's do it. This is the fantastic Christopher Miller and Phil Lord, legendary director, writer, and producers on our podcast for you lovely people. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello, Hello. 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 How are you guys? Good. Good. Nice to meet you. I'm Giles. How are you? Hey. How's it you just come from Ardman. You're allowed to talk about that. The studio's there. Yeah, we were just in beautiful Bristol, mm -hmm. visiting with um, Peter Lord over there. Any my, relation? My, no, oh. sadly. <laughs> it was great to walk around. Have your first visit there? Uh, we'd been back in 2009, but it was it was great to see. Uh, the operations. There's something really cool about how tactile the stop motion is and these incredible sets that they've got and just the inventiveness uh, of that place is really yeah, magical. Yeah, you remember that like filmmaking is all, you know, everything is a prototype. If you're making something, if you're making an animated movie, it's an experimental film. Every film is an experimental film. And you really get that sense of like, oh yeah, we have to solve this problem. How are we going to create this grass? Well, maybe we can take this material with a fork and just kind of fluff it out <laughs> and it'll look right. <laughs> That's that, those, that kind of problem solving is so germane to animation and it reminds us of being students. And so it's great. And then speaking of students, Peter Lord is like a guy that we've studied you know, since we were kids and like watching his films and wanting to be in the animation business, it's a real trip to meet him in person and then have him seem happy to see us. So you're meeting your heroes <laughs> as well. So how is that, yeah. you know, your, how does that feel to 
you know. They say always meet your heroes. That's what they yeah, say. That's what they what say. They say. Yeah. You must have met a fair few of your heroes. <laughs> we have yeah. met a lot of heroes. Uh, Can we? No, 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 yeah. that. no, <laughs> yeah. no. So but, which uh, ones? <laughs> we met Miyazaki once for thirty seconds. Did you? How was oh, that? Wow. It was great. He said, "Keep making animated films." And he made us promise, and then we did. <laughs> and then you did. Yeah. He also didn't just do that. Well, that, was, that was a thing. You, you actually thinking, lied. Thinking, oh, no, well, we were already making some live action, some animated, and and he told us through an interpreter to not stop making animated films. It sounds like a swipe at Jump Street to me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was like, oh, you really should... Uh, He's taking a hit. He yeah, was apparently. a huge Jump Street fan. <laughs> uh, right, right. <laughs> As he should be. Because he's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. He's brilliant. You, have you should have had him against the wall. Yeah, yeah, you like, what do you say? Yeah. yeah, how dare you? Yeah. But were you talking then about being students and actually that feeling of students? You met, right, when you, were, you went to the same... University. True fact, yeah. true fact wasn't we it? It's got an English name as well where you went. Dartmouth. Yeah. Dartmouth. Yeah. 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 Sounds very, very fancy sounding. Very British. But was it? No, no, I mean, no. okay. Yeah, it's in the upper valley of New Hampshire in Vermont. Mm -hmm. It's a decidedly unfancy place. Right. Uh, I had a friend, a mutual friend, who said to both of us, I met someone just as weird as you. And, uh, <laughs> Serious. And sort of true. set us up as friends. And here we are. And then you lit my girlfriend's hair on fire. It is true. And well, we became close friends afterwards. Yeah. It's a real <laughs> bonding experience. How did that happen? How did you? Okay, Chris was well, playing a little game. Yeah. yeah. She was playing. You guys have probably played before. She was too. playing like a Tetris type game on the computer, and I was playing a game called Let's See How Close I Can Get This Lighter to Heather's Hair Without Her Noticing. Great game. <laughs> great it's a game. great game. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. I won game. the game, obviously, because <laughs> yeah. her hair yeah. went fire. <laughs> no, no, she didn't she know what was going on. She didn't flinch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, she was like, realized she only flinched yeah. when I was like blowing it out. Uh, yeah. uh, and then she's like, What are you doing? He's like, oh, I gotta go. Um, <laughs> For the next 30 days, her hair smelled. Her hair is a bad smell. It really is. It really is. And you put up with that. You were like, You accepted this both from your girlfriend. It definitely hurt the relationship between you and her. But it, yeah. it's a mental it relationship between friends. us. Yeah. For life. How, for how, how burnt was her hair? I mean, just had a little just patch. The top just the layer. Patch. Right. Yeah. Just the top. Yeah. So you can just, like, you wouldn't, you know, visually. <laughs> yeah. it was oh, only the top. Not right. the, yeah. nothing yeah. important. Yeah, just the, yeah. yeah, exactly. Just the part you can see. I mean, yeah. yeah. Was it the pink bits? Was it just the yeah. tips? Just, right? yeah, just, yeah. I was yeah, giving just a little. The it was bits. 90s, right? Yeah. It was 90s when everything was great. Everything was really. Yeah. You could burn hair back then and it was okay. You can't do it now. You would go to the salon and make the roots darker please please yeah. yeah because everyone is every different color because of woke culture i can't burn hair anymore it's really annoying it's really yeah. yeah but yeah but you met there but, the, but how, where did the idea the inspiration to start coming up with you know ideas sort of writing bits and pieces well chris was going to take a um a useful government class mm -hmm. and i talked him out of that and into an animation class with me that's imagine where you could be now yeah. i know I if he be, hadn't done oh my that. gosh <laughs> I could be a, a state senator somewhere and sure. wow. that would be the worst. We did a lot of, you know, the creative nonsense in in uh, in college, like humor magazines and mm. comic strips. Yeah, you were writing all and, sorts, uh, you? And obviously the animation and film classes and stuff. So we, we started helping each other out on each other's student films uh, and then moved out to Los Angeles. We decided we we're going to move out to LA to make it in the in the movie business, mm -hmm. and we sort of accidentally became a team. Well, you did tell us the story because there's a really interesting story about how you actually got spotted, if you like. And it's one of these things where you go, "How did you get spot? How did things happen?" But actually, I think you're like club, like models. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Look at well, this. Walking down in the an animation nightclub. <laughs> Everyone's just animated. And Peter Literally. Lord walks through and he's yeah. wearing this huge, you know, huge. fur coat. He's like the Andy Warhol of yeah. the yeah. scene. Yeah. Yeah. He's out of the fork yeah. and he's like, who are those lads? He's dressed as Sean the Sheep there. Yeah. He's dressed, yeah, he, he was there. He rode in on a sheep. <laughs> the, you mean what the true story? Uh, yeah. The true story. <laughs> is, uh, there, there was, uh, we were very lucky in that there was an article that was written about me uh, in the sort of university alumni magazine that uh, was, there was a guy. The title of the <laughs> article was The Next Dr. Seuss? Question mark. Because uh, Dr. Seuss had gone to our school. Ah, uh, the answer is no, by, by the way. Jake Tapper, <laughs> right? Yes. Jake Tapper. Yes, Jake Tapper. Oh. Yeah, famous American newsman. Yeah, he was less, he was not famous at that point. Uh, no, he was a Dartmouth alum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Michael Eisner, who was the head of Disney at the time, his yes. son 
had gone to the same school as us, but we didn't know him. And so he would get these magazines as a mailer to try the and get people to get him to donate right. money. The name of the magazine is Please Give Us Money Magazine. It's a great magazine. Yeah. 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 Still it's really good. Good. Yeah. It didn't really work. I don't think he ever did. But uh, but he did see There's this article time. about me and then pass it on to an underling who passed it to an underling who called me in my off-campus apartment. And it was sort of a game of telephone. By the time it got to this, you know, banana number four, <laughs> yeah. it went from being like, hey, I don't know, Check out. these guys out. So like, these are Eisner's boys. Give them a job. So we showed up and uh, and they offered us a job straight uh, having graduated. We were very super lucky. It was a total privilege. But you would say we were super privileged. <laughs> <laughs> we made the most of it. And what was the job? What, the, what was the, the job? The job offer? was to, to uh, make up Saturday morning TV shows, and uh, at that time, that was like the main outlet for animation. And um, we failed. Yeah, yes. nothing ever well, went well, on the air. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we bombed. We pitched like seven shows. They were pretty. F one was about conjoined twins who ran a, a toy store. <laughs> it could still happen. Yeah. What was, so at this time, what would have been around you? What were you influenced by? And what, what was the animation scene like at that time? It was all like kind of classy situation comedies that were animated for kids like Recess and Doug and, you know, that the yeah. things that Disney were making at that moment were pretty straight. But on the air was obviously The Simpsons was on the air and that was a big uh, touchstone for us. Yeah, South Park. South Park had just started. Literally the first episode aired while we were on this deal and it sort oh, okay. of wow. shook up the world so much so that even though we failed at this first job to ever make a show that went on kids television there was this new burgeoning industry of more adult-oriented animation that uh, the siren song came calling to us and and uh, there were places it made that, us look really bankable right right yeah, a yeah. lot of people made big mistakes, <laughs> wasted a lot of money on us. A lot of that. And then you, how long you were there make, coming up with ideas before this sort of thing started to get serious? And you went, hey, um, So on. we spent a year at Disney um, making kids' cartoons that didn't go anywhere. And then, uh, and then we moved over to the adult side of Disney called Touchstone Television. Mm -hmm. And there we developed this show called Clone High, which yes. we made for ultimately for MTV. And that was our first our first show that we ever made. But they took it on and it, eventually, and it yes. became a really nice series of sorts. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like for you guys, it must have been finally right. It was kind something. of a great like English series. It was like on for you know like ten episodes, yes. and mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. then that was it. But now it's coming back. Coming after back, twenty years yeah, later, back now. Yeah. Yes. And with our friend Bill Lawrence, who was you know now um, uh, of Ted Lasso fame. Indeed. But at the time, he was you know, 30 years old on a television deal and wanted to mentor other writers. And we were the only people there that were younger than him. So he was like, I guess I'll, I guess you, they'll do. Yeah. I'll hang on with these two. <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, and then he made this show called scrubs and, and mm -hmm. it, it was in, he, they were shooting in an, in an abandoned hospital. There was a wing of the hospital that nobody wanted to go into because it was the former psych ward and the doors only opened from the outside and it was scary. As it should. Yeah. In the psych ward. And so he was like, you guys want a free office? <laughs> to make your TV show and in? And we said, yes, we needed all the money we could get to make the show. So having free office space was really helpful. You just couldn't get out. Even though it was creepy. It was creepy. You couldn't yeah. get out. Yeah. 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 Until we finished. Until <laughs> we finished something. <laughs> One of the writer's offices uh, had the number four etched into the walls and doors and windows everywhere. Just thousands and thousands of time from a previous tenant of the psych ward. It was it was creepy. It was it, creepy. It wound up in Jump Street. That's right. That's why Channing mm. draws the number four. Four a million times. Oh, that's kind of uh, cool. Yeah, it's like a little inside joke for yeah. just us. For <laughs> just you. Yeah. No, and the person that drew the four. And yeah. the person. Yeah, yeah. yeah that uh, person. They're like, finally. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone in that seen. ward. Yeah. yeah. He or she knew. Yes. They would have known. But where did those ideas come from back then? And, and what did it feel like? Because it is interesting for us to talk about the sort of the times when it didn't go right. You yeah. know, the times when you were struggling because it's, it's it's great to talk about the happy times and of course we'll talk about Mitchells versus Machines and Lego Movie and all that kind of jump street. But in terms of the times when we're struggling, because so many people who listen to this podcast, right. we're in that position. We're struggling. Yeah. What did it feel like then? And where, how did you keep coming up with new ideas and that rejection? Talk us through well, that. It was interesting because, you know, in our early days we were we would pitch these shows that we thought were really interesting and unique and the, the, up, the higher ups weren't interested and they wanted things that felt, they kept saying, more Disney. And that was a little bit discouraging because, you know, we were like, well, how are we going to, you know, do something that we want to do that feels like 
it has some sort of corporate mandate on top of it. And we, we tried to find ways around it, that clever ways around it, and not just sort of acquiesce and do what we thought they wanted to see, because I think that's the... That is the recipe for failure. Our response to the more Disney comment was we tried to think of the worst Disney movie that had ever been made. Which is, in your opinion? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's close. It, the Cat from Outer Space oh, was the right. one that we chose. It's a live action uh, movie with Ken Berry and Sandy Duncan and a cat who comes from outer space. And to save money, they decided they wrote into the script that the cat speaks through thought transference, Love it. meaning yeah. its mouth doesn't have to move. Great. Cheat. So half yeah. the movie <laughs> is just the cat sitting there <laughs> with his head yeah. sort of resting. I'm going to check and this out. There's a whole conversation And just happening. having a conversation with Ken Berry, we're like, this is great. All the shows that were getting on the air were adaptations of like Dalmatians and stuff. So mm -hmm. we were like, oh, great. Yeah. We'll adapt this, the crummiest Disney movie ever made. Of course. And here's the bonus. You won't have to animate the mouth. All the shots of the cat, he can just sit there. And the bar is low. <laughs> So you haven't got like, oh, it's not like the classic. So you, it's, right. it's already, you oh, yeah. know. No yeah. one's saying you like, you're ruining win. my childhood from this one. Yeah. <laughs> this was, yeah. It was the only pitch they liked. Yeah. Of course they, like, they liked it. love it. <laughs> <laughs> of course they, they love it. it. Right. Yeah. And then we go, oh no. Yeah. We had Shit. a few times where we, you know, we started making things that we, that you know, were sort of maybe a little bit on the soulless side. Uh, and right. uh, and we regretted it every time. So we learned pretty early that you got to just make something that you want to see. And, and thankfully, you know, I think studios and uh, and money people are different than they were back then in the late 90s. Yeah, you, now uniqueness drives the marketplace. It used to mm. be like they were trying to find the biggest tent they could find, which just meant like, let's make something and shave it into the roundest sphere possible so yeah. that it can just sort of get through all the hoops. And then so there was a lot of like generic kind of boring stuff was made in that moment. And Clone High is like the opposite of that. It's just like, let's do every fun thing that we want. And cool. we had been in writer's rooms on other shows where the showrunner would say, uh, you, you can, you need to beat this joke, but it needs to be the exact same thought. And <laughs> so we're like, okay, <laughs> we don't know how to do that. Yeah. Um, and so we said, we want to be the showrunners that say yes. If you've got a wild idea, we want to figure out how to make it work. And so that right. was the philosophy of that room. And we just said yes to basically everything. And any whim that we had, we just started to play with it. We based an episode on a drawing of Scudworth with like a silly cravat. And we we're like, this is such a funny drawing. Maybe we can design a whole episode around it. <laughs> but how great and how freeing, right? It was really freeing. Yeah, it must have been too freeing. Right. Well, <laughs> maybe, but also amazing. Did you, because of all the sort of, uh, let's say, rejection? It's maybe the wrong word. Of all the projects you tried, pitched, right. and failed, suddenly yes. to have one to non go. Non-acceptance. Non-acceptance, <laughs> should we say. Every no is a slight yes, but yes. just delivered in a no coat. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> but that must have felt great, like you said, to get that moving. And how did it help you as filmmakers at that point and creators an idea come up or as one thing that was it was like a real film school that that uh, show because mm. we didn't have the money to have a big crew and so we ended up doing a lot of it including storyboard revisions and uh, animatic editing ourselves so we had to learn how to use uh, editing software and all sorts of things like that. So it was really helpful uh, on that front just to sort of do it all on some level and then ultimately now that we've been able to work with people who are so much better than us and all these different things, it's good to have the that experience. And then, like Phil was saying, that you know, working with a, a writing staff and uh, and an art team uh, with a bunch of people going like, "What do you want to do? What do you want to see? What do you wish that we could do that er, that we haven't been allowed to do?" Because you know, no one's quite minding the store right now, so we can get away with anything. And the spirit of feeling like you can get away with something was something that felt amazing and it's something we've tried to do for the rest of our careers. Yeah. And once you have, and, and I suppose going straight onto Cloud with a chance of meatballs, because again, this what you said there about being unique, I really like that. Do you, and I suppose that'll drive us into Cloudy because you're saying now it's better if filmmakers are unique. They come up with something different. Can you just uh, divulge a little more about that? Yeah, so a, f a funny thing happened while we were making Cloudy. We were at Sony Animation and they had a movie come out that didn't perform how they wanted. So they spent a million dollars getting NRG, a, a, a research company, to reverse engineer why 
animated movies succeed in the marketplace. And so the idea is like, let's just copy what they do right, and mm -hmm. we'll do that, and we'll win. And the the researchers said that the way to win is to be unique. <laughs> it's the one factor that is <laughs> common to all the winners, is that it has to be different. You can't be like the fourth Penguin movie. You have mm -hmm. to like be something that nobody's seen before. And you, we've seen that over and over and over again. If you can deliver an experience that feels new to an audience, they go. And if it feels like something like, ah, I've seen that before, mm. you know, they stay home. Which is the counter to any studio. Surely they're like, they, they just want what's being done because they right. know it sells and they know it makes X amount. But now I think, especially uh, with this sort of changing marketplace, I think throughout film and television, people are banking on uniqueness and originality because I think those are the things that get the attention and then, then drive people uh, off their butts to go to a, a cinema. It has to be some an experience. You know, it has to feel like, oh, I'm going on a ride and it's going to be something I haven't ever felt before. Because there's a, a much of amazing television right now, especially for movies, studio heads are looking at going like, how can we be something that beats uh, just sitting at home and watching something and it has to feel something that's worth paying for a babysitter and uh, making a whole evening out of and so it has to feel like a, a new exciting experience that like going to a theme park or something and going on a roller coaster mm -hmm. right expensive. that's like when avatar came out it was like people's yeah. grandmothers were like i want to yeah. go because i want to see that before i die yes. right you know and then mm. it's a completely different kind of movie but we just wrapped this movie in Ireland called Cocaine Bear. Yes. Guess mm. what it's about? <laughs> I, I heard a bear on cocaine. I've yeah. heard a lot about this. But when you hear the <laughs> phrase cocaine bear, you go, well, I haven't seen that before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Using and real bears, obviously. Obviously. obviously using, yes. I mean, we yeah. got a lot, made a lot of uh, No bears, bears were harmed during the filming, but fuck. a lot of bears had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> They're struggling now. Yeah, yeah okay. they're str yeah, yeah, but they're but doing better. Yeah, there's a sequel plan. Yeah. Yeah. Withdrawal bear is the the sad kind of Oscar play. Barely withers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because yeah, yeah. you mentioned uh, not Disney, it's not Disney enough. The, your original pictures. Yeah. But now uh, X amount of movies in. Do you think there is a Lord and Miller? style? I, I don't want to say brand. I don't want to say it, but you know what I mean? I hope yes. not. I do yes. think people think of that when they think about us. I mean, I will say that there are things that we are attracted to and things that we aren't. Yeah. Um, it, it would be hard for us to make a film that didn't have any sense of humor about it whatsoever that was very self-serious. We also don't really love mean-spirited things. Yeah. Uh, we like to be fairly hopeful and you know I think a you know a gritty coal miner drama that was incredibly bleak would be I can't wait to see you do that uh, I would, yeah, I, I it would that. be interesting <laughs> be really bad at it I think it would be unique it would be uniquely <laughs> or something like terrible. The, the lighthouse or something like that so you guys do something like that I you think know? we you know we try to have something interesting to say we try to you know have it be relevant to what's going on in the world and it, 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 we're not afraid of it being really dark yes <laughs> it's just that when in doubt we like we're writing a scene and it doesn't work when in doubt we just make everybody really nice to each other and, it, and it's an interesting uh, way to like shake off the cobwebs of a scene what do you do then What you touched on it there when you are in a hole when you are struggling obviously you work together which really helps mm -hmm. the writers who write yes. on their own it's like I'm in a hole how do I get out of it but writing mm -hmm. together and maybe in rooms but what happens when you hit a dark spot or a hole or you know you've maybe you've written two drafts and you can't find the bit that ties right. it all together what, yeah. two drafts that what would be amazing yeah, I would yeah, love yeah. to just write two drafts <laughs> <laughs> I mean certainly when you talk to somebody else about it two things happen right you have to turn it into a story that is told so you eliminate details and add things in to, intuitively to make it interesting and that reveals a lot and then you get somebody else's response to it and then the conversation and watching that evolve that's why writers rooms can be great is when people are talking they you know you come up with something together that you couldn't do apart right i mean a lot of our writing is we're trying to make the other one laugh or be excited or interested and then when we show the other one and they and we don't understand it then there's a conversation it's a conversation and you're in as Phil's saying you're forced to sort of explain what you are going for and sort of distill what what's important to you and that allows you to really understand what the goal of the scene is and then you know because we're always sort of challenging each other to like is this the most interesting way to do that or is this the clearest or the the funniest or most surprising way to accomplish the goal of the scene. It's sort of, you're never in a hole that 
is impossible to get out of. You always have right. Some There's sort always of path. a weird creative answer. Right. So we do like writing ourselves into corners. Mm-hmm. The other thing I do these days is I just think about the characters and what they're going through and how they feel, and a lot of times that unlocks something. And like I said, like I just go, well, maybe just every, like if people were being really kind to each other right now, like what would they be doing? Yes. And it, a lot of times. we've discovered that it's more spectacular to watch people try to get along than to watch them try to fight. You know, it's Mm. really, it sounds so hokey. Well, that's in your, actually, that is the one thing that does run across a lot of your work that you either have directed or produced. It's always got a lot of heart to it. Mm -hmm. You can almost guarantee that whatever you've done, there's a warmth at the core of it. Does that make sense? You know, and that must be something you're, you you know. It didn't start that way, funny enough. We didn't really realize that that's, I mean, we, we, we like to think we're nice people and we like each yeah, other. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and, but, and we approach, we love the, the characters and we, lo- we try to bring love to it. But, it, you know, at, at, at the beginning, we just wanted to be funny, like desperately. <laughs> and we would do anything and commit any heinous act to the characters in order to get there. And I think and we had our first cut of Cloudy was every seven minutes of it was hilarious, but if you put them all together, it puts you to sleep. Mm. And the reason is you really had no investment in the story. And um, we started working with this woman, Lindsay Duran, who's a great producer, produced a a bunch of wonderful movies, including Dead Again, which I just watched again, which is brilliant. Lindsay is such a great producer for screenwriters that she has a whole part of her business, which is just like giving advice and notes to people. So she gives us, she works on all of our screenplays. And we just send it to her. She sends us a bunch of notes back and we just do them all because we've learned not to question her judgment. She sounds amazing. (laughs) She really is amazing. She makes you look good. Absolutely, 100%. She makes us look good. And she taught us the value of character and relationships and just watching people be kind. (laughs) And and, um, it's made our writing a million times better. It was Cloudy with a Chance Meatballs where we completely rewrote it to be more relationship-focused and emotionally forward that we were after that we were like we'll never do anything ever again and so now instead of having to jam it in in a reverse engineered way we like start from the beginning going like yeah. how, why do we care and how is this going to break my heart and remember when Flint was like an aggrieved former famous weatherman and he was like had fallen from grace and was like really angry all the time to start the movie <laughs> and it just was like hard to get people to care but now you from the <laughs> for, i think because the opening's got that mate that mark mothersbaugh school but mothersbaugh mothersbaugh yeah. Yeah. yeah his school the whole first sort of five ten minutes just flows but you're almost in tears within five minutes and yeah it's, it's a beautiful score yeah he's mark is one of the secret weapons yeah. in movies he he's the most melodic um, composer, I think, working now. And in an era where there's like a lot of stuff that is sort of anti-melody, mm-hmm. um, he really knows how to bring warmth because he's a really warm guy even though he wouldn't admit it. Um, <laughs> you know, because he's also he's like... Cold, but well, he, because yeah. he's made his like he made his name being in the most sarcastic band of all time. Right, yeah. <laughs> sure, true. Sure. And I think the score that he did for Mitchell's versus Machines oh, is really stunning. one of his one of his best ever. It's really... It's almost a return to Meatballs. It's, uh, a little it, bit. It sits yeah. alongside it really nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how do you collaborate with people like that then? What is it kind of... You give them ideas and or they come to you with ideas or do they read the script? In the case of Mitchell's, it was sort of this... We had with Mike, uh, the director, this idea that, you know, the family would feel really analog and the world of PAL and the computers would be more uh, synthesizers and beeps and boops and uh, technology-based sounds. And then these two things would collide and then find a sort of big orchestral synthesis of these two types of sounds uh, by the end. And so Mark, who loves to collect weird instruments and and experiment with strange noises in his scores, he was really excited about that and would embrace that. And so he would, you know, there's a lot of back and forth where he'd send 
little, oh, I found this new thing. Like, what do you think about this weird sound? And then Mike would be like, I love it. I love it. Let's, let's, let's do that. And then sort of like picking different themes for each of the characters and having like those instrumentations of each of their characters sort of blend together and have the movie get bigger and bigger and more orchestral and cinematic starting out in sort of like an independent film score and becoming this big giant studio movie score by the end. And that was sort of the thinking. When you work with Mark, he'll send you like two hours of like doodles. Doodles. <laughs> yeah. Like, like just a bunch of fragments of things and like sketches that he's done and some stuff he wrote for you and some stuff that he just like had left over from <laughs> other <laughs> things. And, and then, he's like, oh, here's a here's a theme that I always liked, but they I did it for this other movie, but no, they never wanted it. And and so you listen to all that stuff, and then you go, ooh, this is great. This thing, uh, you know, the in minute forty two is amazing. Yeah, sometimes we'll cut a little collage together of like all our favorite bits, and then we sort of together come up with the palette, mm. and 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 you know, based on what Mark sends you, and it's so great. You go over to his studio, Mutato, which is on Sunset in this like beautiful green building, like circular building that looks like a spaceship. And then you, he'll oh he'll have like a synthesizer like lying around that was, you know, they composed Powerhouse on it, uh, you know, eighty five <laughs> years ago. And you're just like it's you're a kid again. That's the thing. It's yeah. like you 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 have a sense of wonder working mm. with that guy. That's amazing. This week's Filmmakers Podcast is brought to you by Massive, the fastest way to send and receive massive film and video files. Send uncompressed dailies, locked pictures, DCPs, and more with Massive. Spelt M-A-S-V. Keep listening to hear how you can receive 100 gigabytes for free towards your next transfer. Massive. And and going back to, you, you talked about their collaborating creating something when you're collaborating together at the beginning and you're finding these ideas and I suppose what would be fascinating for us is how do you actually find these ideas is it a load <laughs> of different ideas going together and how do you how do you write them down is it the same thing as your composer here is just on the back of a napkin and stuff or? Yeah, I don't know I mean like you like we've talked often about that like we've never had a good answer to like where do you get your ideas mm-hmm. And I don't know if I've ever heard a good answer from anybody else. I guess I could say I get them from Chris. Uh, mm. I mean, I think you're sort of in this, yeah, and I get mine from Phil, so yeah, it's, yeah, sort of, yeah. uh, it's a circular situation. But I think it always starts with a, with a what-if type of conversation. And I think I have this theory that there's a reason why a lot of people, a lot of creative people and writers are anxious people that uh, are on, uh, are on uh, mood-stabilizing uh, drugs. Uh, are you guys? Yes. Or not? No, yeah. I'm not. Okay. Yeah. 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 What's the, what I, just, I, just li- I just live drugs. with my anxiety. Yeah. What's this lines of powder we got on the table here? Yeah. What's that yeah. about? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think that anxiety is sort of an overblown what-if. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you're in bed at night and you hear a noise downstairs and your brain goes like, it's a, it's a burglar. It's I'm going to go down there with a bat, but he's going to have a gun or it's a dog that, you know, it's a dog woke up and it knocked over a lamp or it's this or it's that. And you come up with all these different scenarios in your head and you start like playing out these scenarios. And some of them are more fantastical than others. And the more of a creative person you are, the more fantastical those what if scenarios are and the more anxious you become. Right. The main reason that we have stories (laughs) There's like two. Right. <laughs> one is so we can imagine future outcomes and make decisions. Right. Yeah. And, a, and a related one is so that I can tell him what happened to like Bill. Did you hear he went, got too close to that cliff? Mm hmm. He ate, the, he ate the red berries. He ate and, the red berries. And he died. Fell, Don't right do up, that. fell asleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. fell right off the cliff. And he died. He got really close to the mastodon and he got trampled Don't to death. Don't get too close to the mastodon. Don't eat the red berries. Let me tell you an exciting Don't story about this. Don't get too close this. to the edge of the cliff. I'm warning <laughs> you how to survive and or I'm telling you how, how about we could do something like this and the world would be a better place. Yeah, so stories are a really important technology if you want to stay alive. Right. And that's why we all still have it. Yeah. What you're telling me is you have a good escape plan Right. From your house. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Every wrong. scenario yeah. has been thought out. Yeah, we're Earthquakes. on the second floor. Yeah. If I jump out this yeah. window, I'll probably just, I'll probably break a leg. When but you move you house. If I push him yeah. first. Yeah, you could land on him. Yeah, I'll land on him. Right. That's probably okay. I'm not an escape right no, here, this, right we've, now. We're not here for long, but <laughs> right. yeah, I don't feel really under threat. <laughs> I realized I didn't have my new escape plan in my new house. I was like, oh no, I don't have my, which has been you know there for years. I'll tell you what, that the lords, since they came over from this country to America, have tied ropes to bedposts 
uh, in yes. case they needed to escape. Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. When I went to college wow. and my dad gave me like a hug, uh, like a hundred dollars and a rope. <laughs> <laughs> and oftentimes it's sort of like this scene isn't good enough. I'm anxious that it's not special enough. Like what can we do to make it more interesting and more special? And so it's all anxiety. That whole idea. What? When? How about putting it down? Like you say, you come up with these ideas and they come up from anxiety. But do you block it out? Do you just splurge stuff? Well, tell us about. I think you're more of a block it out guy. And I'm more of a vomit it onto the page and then pray that there's anything good there. Well, I think there's sort of something that we learned from a speech by John Cleese that there's like an open mode and a, and a closed mode. And when you're in the open mode and there's sort of like the creativity is flowing, you can feel, oh, this is the time when we're we're generating ideas and they're exciting and they're and and they're getting us all, all jazzed up. You don't want to sort of block it with a, a lot of editing thoughts at that moment. You really just want to explore everything and just throw out as many ideas as you can because that's a really special time. And then after that sort of wanes, you can go back and then and then look at it with an editor's eye and go like, oh, what really actually works? And what do we need for the story? And we could use this thing, but we'd have to adjust it this way. And this is a great idea, but it sort of is contrary to what we're trying to say. We try not to short circuit things, ideas before they happen, hmm. right? So if we're, if we're working on something and he brings up, what about this? We just try to chase it instead of question it before, it's, right. before you even know. Thinking live action wise, are you the same effectively when you're writing is the, is the energy the same when you're on set or is it a completely different dynamic or how does it work how do you both change from from in a room just the two of you to on set yeah it's, it's really about how does the anxiety manifest right well i think one of the things is that we talk about the scenes so much beforehand and we have sometimes have uh you know a lot of different ideas or things we want to get and when we're on set together you want to present a, a united front to uh the actors so they don't get bombarded with contradictory ideas and not know what to do. And so we sort of try and present a single idea. Do one thing at a time. Yes. And if we have a disagreement about like, oh, I think it should go, I think this should be like animated and yelling at each other, then we wait until we do Chris's idea, which is like, what if we play it really soft? We just, we do that first and then rev them up right. at the end. Say, okay, now that we've done that, let's just try another version. That's a totally different thing. Instead of like going, let's try it soft but loud. A lot of times when we're on set, like <laughs> watching a take, it's you're just watching it with your body. Mm. One of the things we try to remember is like you make these things with your frontal lobe, but you watch them with your stomach. Yes. Right? So yes. you sit there and you're watching a take and trying to like listen to your body and whether you're leaning in or out. And you might get an idea that's just sort of intuitive and you just try to chase that. And we'll pitch things out. A lot of times, depending on the performer, we'll just throw lines at them in the middle of the scene. Mm. And you're working with some amazing performers on your first. So that was your first live yeah, action? Yeah, for sure. Which one? Uh, yeah, uh, both yeah, those guys straight, are really straight, great yes. at you know taking lines in the middle of the scene. So you're kind of writing the scene with them mm. as you shoot it. Yeah. Really and, it, and it's been great in, in all of the stuff we try to work with people who are good improvisers because they can sort of put it in their own words and uh, it's like free writing that you're getting from these people that are filmmakers themselves and so it's just greedy yeah, yeah. but in a wonderful way and what how did going into you know jump street real quick and so you know coming from animation side and creating ideas and suddenly you're now working with the real camera yeah was there any Diff talk us through the differences between because it, it was know, a lot to learn, mm. you know, um, just the physical realities of like you need to get a camera and a dolly and a person, <laughs> and a person. <laughs> in that space. You can't just put the camera like magically, you know, Wherever put the lens want. right against the wall. There was a lot of that stuff. We have a great cinematographer we, we work with named Barry Peterson. And, and Barry was really patient with us <laughs> um, and taught us some really smart things, you know, that we now brought into animation. You know, he has a philosophy which is like tight eye lines are great for comedy. And that's basically true. And also like to taught us to think about where the lens is relative to the story. You know, if if you're focusing on Phil and like Phil's mind's eye and like experiencing the movie through his point of view, get the camera as close to him as possible so that even if I'm looking at Chris, I'm looking at Chris from more or less uh, Phil distance, you know, and mm. I'm entering the room that way. So just trying to make things as subjective as possible, which, you know, if you look at like Clone High and even Cloudy, like it's quite objective, right? It's like 
treating the characters as like Muppets. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and so now we've tried to bring some of that stuff into our, our animation too. That's amazing. It's quite frustrating actually for you guys because there's so much we can talk about because this is, reminds me of the David Kep uh, interview we did. Oh, because he's like, where do you begin? Like, uh, oh my God, even the smaller stuff is like, well, there's some, but um, Last Man on Earth. Oh yeah. How, because that feels like that's got a lot of your, as you say, it's kind of means it's mean, but it's loving. It's got a, it's got an amazing heart well, to Forte, it. Well, Forte, that's one of the yeah. things he's so good at, right? He plays these like despicable people yeah. with so much humanity and, and vulnerability. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're so desperate as characters, and I love that about Phil Miller. <laughs> uh, I love that about that character that he he Makes. just. He wants it so bad. <laughs> um, and, uh, and shooting that pilot was one of the best experiences we ever had. Mm. Um, just because we'd known Will for so long and uh, before any of us were um, could, you know, af you afford to quit it. our day Famous. job. <laughs> <laughs> and he was so, and, and so we got to like, and I, I, we just love his comedy so much. We were, we, we were just trying to serve it as well as we could. Mm. How early were you involved with Last Man or how much we of came up with it together with it Will. Was your, okay, it yeah, was yeah. a there was a movie idea that was like a scrap of an idea that we couldn't figure out which was sort of this idea that like in an apocalypse Phil and I thought we would be absolutely useless because we have no <laughs> real world skills all of our you know anything we know how to do we know from the internet uh, and so if there was no internet I couldn't fix a car yeah. I couldn't do anything I'm yeah. not I'm not very climb useful. out of a window if exactly. a was tied to a bed and so exactly kind of yeah. We, yeah. and so like oh you know just the thought about like how sad and pathetic we would be uh, in an apocalypse we thought was funny and then we wanted to make a show with will because you know he he's been our friend for a long time and we think he's a genius and we pitched a bunch of things and we talked back and forth about some different ideas and then very late in our conversation which was like a two-day conversation we we pitched out this little nugget and he really latched onto it and then in like a week less than a week later he had like figured out a whole season's worth of a story arc and a bunch of characters and he really really like sparked to it and it really is a, a show that fully came out of his brain but it, it also it all started in uh you know we in his living uh, room. on the set of a peter bogdanovich film that he was making <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, i got to meet bogdanovich <laughs> ah, how cool is that he liked jump street yeah <laughs> that's what he said yeah. <laughs> he said keep doing live action he said keep yeah. doing live yeah. action yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't do those animations don't do any more animations. Yeah. we'll keep sort of alternating <laughs> but talking about animation I suppose bringing it back to what uh, Mitchell versus Machines but also we do want to talk about Lego Movie a bit but let's talk about Mitchell versus Machines here because obviously you, you didn't direct this one but yet it's massively your baby as well talk us through how that is different as well talk us through Mitchell's from the Machines first of all and, and how that came about and how it's different when you're just producing something and sure but th so that movie is, just, is written you know. and directed by Mike Rianda. It's based on his experience growing up. His dad was like a woodsman and wow. he was like an animation dork like growing up and wanting to become a filmmaker and they struggled to get to understand each other for a long time. And as a matter of fact, I think through making the movie, their relationship got stronger. So he uh, had he was working at Sony Animation and kicking this idea around and we saw him in the hallways. We met because there was like clearly one guy, one kindred spirit on this floor because there was a normal door, normal door, and then a, like a bunch of papers spilling out of this office and like Charlie Brown um, pig pen squiggles flying out <laughs> of it. And, and it, that was like, oh, that was what our cloudy office looked like. You know, right. basically we're on, we, he occupied more or less the same office that we had on the same floor in, in, in the Sony Animation Building. You've become the Andy Warhol figure. You're yes. like, he's kissing him. him. I want him. Yes. Yeah, and so we were working on... Uh, Spider-Verse at the time and and uh, and so we met him and, and thought he was uh, great and then they asked us to watch the early animatic of a thing that the movie he'd been working on to see if we wanted to come help get it greenlit by the studio mm -hmm. and uh, we watched this animatic and it was still very early and he had done all the voices for all the characters male and female uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know these like little scrappy storyboards but you could tell even early on that he was really funny and he understood how to execute a joke but he also 
understood uh, emotional relationships and why that was important uh, for a film as well, which was something that we had to learn during Cloudy. We're like, oh, this guy's already ahead of where we were on our first film. And so we thought he was really talented and you know part of our agenda as producers is to to help a talented filmmaker sort of execute their vision to its best self uh, and so we jumped on board we talk a lot about like if think projects are on mission or not mm. you know That's for nice. us you know we're trying to put good things into the world as best we can and to help other people do the same and so, you know we do hope to be able to have great collaborations with other filmmakers. And so it was really on mission. We saw the movie and we really got it and we thought it was lovely and hilarious. And then we spent three years like yeah. working on it. <laughs> and we're like, this will be easy money. Yeah, this is an yeah, easy yeah. one. Yeah, in no. and out, quick, yeah. one day. We had to sort of break it down and then build it back up to sort of make sure that it was its its best self in it. And it still is a, a lot like that early screening. It's just sort of... It's sweeter. Yes. What's your biggest... Because there's, there's an energy and pace the stuff that you guys were involved with. Did you bring that to Mitchell's? If anything, we slowed Mitchell's down. <laughs> really? Well, because it is... <laughs> no. It's yes. rapid fire. I remember, no. remember it's Lego so movie. fast. Lego Movie, yes. I remember first watching that and thinking, like, wow, oh it's like wow. an assault. It's, but yeah. what you can't even, believe about Lego Movie is it moved even faster. Wow. And really? we had a test screening. <laughs> and the movie, believe it or not, uh, played, people said it felt long, which means they disengaged. And the studio was there and they were really worried because animated movies score really high. So like the movie, that movie did like an 88 or something like that out of 100. Which is, which but is like good, a Pixar but, yeah. movie does like a 97. So we, they were like, they're like, we're dead. We're never going <laughs> to. We're like, <laughs> okay, calm down. And yeah. like, you, you got to take 10 minutes out of the movie. That's the only way it's going to work. And we're like, okay, no problem. Is we'll take 10 minutes out as of the well? movie. They say it in a very aggressive kind of... Uh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm playing it up a little bit. There, it was more like, you guys, you're going to take 10 minutes out of the movie. It's, I, I'm sorry. Okay, okay so, so um, very genteel. And so we agreed, which was a lie, because the truth was you needed to put... And this is what we did. We put 10 minutes into the movie. Right. But to make it longer so that every moment you had a second to digest it right. and understand not just like you said something, but I got to watch what you said land on the other yep. character. And then I watched them process it, think about what they were going to say and then say it back. It's that those moments in between that are really important. How did you know to do that? Though? Well, because we did it wrong first, and we right. watched it, and we're like, "This is it's like you." I hate this. Right, I'm not connecting with a character, and so we cut five minutes of material, but added ten minutes. And did they notice? Did it they played notice? like a rocket. Right. That's the thing because you're engaged, you're locked in the whole time, right. and you're nothing taking the you time out. to sort of feel what what Emmett is feeling in that movie and be on the journey with him and, and empathize with him in a way that if it's just like coming at you at an assault, you never get a chance if to If the do movie's it. talking at you, it doesn't allow you to do the thing, the magic trick that we all can have been able to do since birth, which is imagine what someone else is thinking. So if you give me the real estate, like a little pause, you I get to project onto Emmett what's going on inside of him. But if he's just chattering the whole damn time, I never get a shot. And so, uh, you know, in my first thing he it was very like he's trying to cram as many jokes and bits as possible uh, he's just excited to get away with the movie the way that we always have been and then so we had to be like, okay we need we need some moments where we can like slow this thing down and open up and and, and, and reaction empathize. shots just like have like if Katie and Rick are having an argument at the dinner table finding a moment to look over at Linda and look at Aaron and watch what they're thinking about it. And that's part of the story. And it, and it, so much of it was just like the camera was on whoever was talking. Okay, with that, does that mean you've got to go back into... You've got to animate. Oh, it's a nightmare. I talk us, yeah. Go, <laughs> adding 10 minutes. <laughs> it's terrible. Everybody hates you. Yeah, I was going to say. When we're looking at it early on, it's it's storyboards that we're looking at on an yeah. animatic. So it's much cheaper and easier to try a million things out. And we tried so many things out. And there's a hundred different versions of this movie uh, that are on the cutting room floor. But we're famous at Sony for never thinking the movie is done. And even though the the hardworking line producers are telling you, yeah, but we, the shot is finished. We have, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> because we need to add 12 frames on the end of it. But but it's finished. On this, Yeah, it says on the spreadsheet, but... Someone's going to just open it up and we're just going to add two, 12 more frames. Is that easier now that you've got a reputation? It's a easier yeah. now, yeah. but yes. it is still, yeah, it took us a few mu movies <laughs> to, to learn that about us. But 
Um, I think the results speak for themselves. It, it, and the artists all, when they saw that it, the movie was playing better, then everybody was on board. Yeah, and they trust you. Like uh, Christian says, they trust you now that you know what you're talking about in terms of go, look, we're going to add 12 frames. We are. Right. Or at least you're in a position <laughs> yeah. to... You know you're going to do it. You yeah. can fight me on it. Wait a week and then yeah, do exactly. it anyway. Or yeah, you can exactly. just do it. Just but I'll have you fired. But you yes. know I will find yeah. a way. I'll, crush I'll you. go around you. Yeah. And I'll <laughs> talk to the animator yeah. on the weekend. Yeah. And we'll, it'll happen. So just behind you back accept yeah. it yeah do it now <laughs> it's but no that it is nice i think in a way that you that you like you say you know it's worth it in the long run even though it might cost more now and we've got to put those line items back in the budget the fact is at the end of the day you're making brilliant projects and brilliant projects you know it's true they are you, you you've made some amazing films there's no question of well that. that's very right. kind don't of get you the kids. don't oh, get the kids don't get the room playing to the buzzer you know running through the tape as we say it's yeah. really important it's those those last little details mm. and the mix can make a huge difference gotta leave it all on the pitch guys you know yeah. right <laughs> because like if you mix it wrong and there's too much information and you're getting repelled by all the loud sounds you can't watch it you know well, well that must have happened a bit on the lego movie because it was a absolute mm. wow this there's is so much happening yeah. i laughed so hard i've absolutely enjoyed it I took the kids to see them in the cinema and we laughed our heads off it was brilliant oh, and they weren't great. even his kids they weren't even, I just picked them <laughs> up but what was amazing about it was I imagined that you went even further and maybe you had to bring stuff back oh for sure yeah, right. yeah. 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 even on the sound talk? mix you know like it's you know it can be overwhelming and you don't know what to look at because like everyone's walking around and clickety clackety click click clack and yeah. so we had to just like take a lot oh, of yeah. stuff out so that, that mix you... was about removing things right. so that because you know there's like a hundred characters on screen everything's jittering you needed to tell people what to look at yes by what was on what was on the soundtrack right yeah and that can't be easy right um, it's and, well, a big pain in the neck big pain yeah on mitchell's for example like we added i don't know four weeks to the mix at the end, two of which we paid for ourselves. <laughs> because it just couldn't. The line producer was like, no! Yeah, yeah. we are like, we're paying for it. We'll try yeah, to, yeah. We tr that's, sometimes that's a move we do, is we tr we say we'll pay for it, and then we shame them into doing it. It's a bit of a game of chicken. Yeah. But sometimes we end up actually paying sometimes, for it. Sometimes, in this yeah. case, we actually Because we care so much about uh, excellence, so, uh, you know, it's worth it. It, it makes a difference. It, it, it really does. It yeah. really does. Hence why, you know, award season and stuff for Mitch was absolutely Right, I mean, yeah. it's fantastic, and it's sh it's totally deserves the awards, and everyone who has oh, that's it very nice. should go see it. But it we're is. super it's proud great. of it. I'm so proud of Mike, and happy for all of the people, you know, his whole crew. You know, mm. it, this is a lot of people's first movie. Lindsay Oliveras, who's the production designer, it's her first time ever in that job. Um, Guillermo Martinez, who does the, who was the head of story, that was her, his first time in that job. Mike's first movie. Jeff Rowe, the co-director, his first movie. So it has the energy of like film students. Yeah, and and that's what's so fun. That part of us has long since died. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it's great to be with them. That's right. Disney for you. <laughs> we suck off the energy of their youth and so it keeps us young. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're yeah. like vampires sucking yes. their life force. Yeah. That's yeah, right. Yeah. That, I their, can see that. Because you've got a very nice complexion. Your yeah. skin is very yeah. smooth. You guys have great <laughs> necks, by the way. I didn't Thank want to you. I work on it a yeah, lot. And then yeah. there's like big targets. I've never had that. No one's ever said that to me before. But if you could look back and give your younger self some advice in terms of all those times you were getting the knockbacks, shall we say? Yeah. What advice would that be that our listeners can maybe take from, learn from, and be inspired by? It's part of it, you know, to embrace the the failures. And for every success we've had, we've had a, some often public failure to go along with it. You know, that's just learning. That's just filmmaking. You make a bunch of bad stuff <laughs> along with the good <laughs> stuff, and and it's just lessons. So the nice thing about animation and and even those Jump Street movies, like you get to make ten bad versions of the movie before the last one, and then you watch those and <laughs> learn from your mistakes. Right, and I say, you know, don't chase something because you think it's what people want to see, what a studio wants to see. Make something that is what you want to see that you think is special and is something that only you could make. I think sometimes early in our career, we're like, well, this feels like a movie that would be made. It's not something I personally care about that much. It has to be something that you really are passionate about and want to spend every waking moment of your life thinking about because that's what ends up happening. These things take a long time to make. Very quickly, so how you've... You've achieved a lot. How do you still make sure you still love what you do? I've always liked the mark making. 
of it. Like I've always liked to draw. I've always liked to type, <laughs> you know, I love to edit. I love to capture things on film, whether it's animated or live action. I love presenting this stuff. So I really like the, the like the day to day mm. of it. And that gets me up in the morning. Yeah, Don't I you? Think, like, I, yeah, I feel it, like you yeah. just like the action of it. Oh yeah, I like the excite, excitement of feeling like you're putting something new out into the world. And I think that's what keeps me excited. If I felt like I was just doing a thing that you've seen before, it would be hard to spend as much time as we have to spend on these things. Yeah. Um, and because, you know, with Mitchell's, it's, you know, the, the even how it, how it looks, the animation itself is, is totally new and it has this very watercolor, mm. illustrative style with this mixed media on top of it. And that felt very exciting and, and new. And so it was always exciting to like, go in and and see how far we could push the look of the movie. Like today I was like watching a cut of a Clone High episode okay. and just like writing up notes like I just like doing. I like watching it and seeing if I can help make it better, you yeah. know? Um, the same thing was, you know, walking around Ardman yesterday, one of the things that was so special was watching Peter watch the filmmakers like working on a shot mm -hmm. and even watching him like light up and start asking about it. And I could tell wanting to make some adjustment and holding himself back out of pure politeness. But you could tell that guy's been doing it as long as he has and he still has the He's still curious, yeah. This has been amazing. Thank you both so much, honestly. Really, really appreciate your time. This was oh, a great you. interview, guys. Thank you. Thanks for taking the great time with us. Thanks, I should thanks. say. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun. Remember, you can go out there and make your film, your indie film, your animation, whatever it is, just as the boys have said. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it's your duty, as always, to send the elevator back down. We will see you all next Tuesday, as always. Oh, wow. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank Likewise. you Thank so you. much. Cheers, CJ. Cheers. Uh, <laughs> Bye, bye everyone. Bye. bye. <laughs>